Well, good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you've ever watched the World War II movie, Fury, uh, then you've probably seen it. Uh, It's an American tank, the M4 Sherman. And historians like to call it uh, the workhorse of World War II, this medium-duty tank uh, that was the perfect balance of power and performance. And that's because it was uh, small enough to be loaded on railroad cars, delivered around the world, uh, but large enough to punch through enemy lines. This 33-ton behemoth that could travel 26 miles an hour, a staggering statistic when you consider that it's World War II. That's why the United States Army goes out and actually produces 50,000 of these tanks. And at the beginning of the war, they're almost invincible. Uh, But as years pass, uh, things begin to change. And as the Allies are pushing Hitler back into the heart of Europe, his tanks are trouncing these tanks. It takes uh, one German tank to destroy just about five to maybe 10 US Shermans. And that's why the tank uh, crews like to call this tank the right tank, but the right tank for the wrong war. And that's a reality that actually plays out during this movie from, of World War II called Fury. You see, it's April of 1945 when the curtain rises on the movie's most memorable scene. And the crew of Fury finds themselves located at a crossroads, a crossroads between a a Nazi battalion and a U.S. supply line. And it's their job to hold the line, to prevent a loss, to protect the army from what would otherwise be a huge disaster. Like all good movies, uh, there's a problem actually several problems. You see uh, they are uh, running low on ammo, out of food, been fighting for days. Their tank has uh, been all busted up. They ran over a German mine in a chance encounter. And not only that, they're up against insurmountable odds. 40, 50, maybe even 60 to 1. Five guys against a whole SS battalion. And that's why uh, you wouldn't blame them. They decided to pull back. But that's not what happens in this movie. We're going to hold this crossroads. Uh, That's what their staff sergeant, Don War Daddy Collier, tells them in a move that is both terrifying and courageous. And so you find yourself in the midst of this scene, and they're getting ready, preparing to go, and then pondering their not-so-uncertain future. And you find them inside of this tank just before the Nazis arrive. There's a Bible verse, one of them says. I think about it sometimes. Oftentimes. It goes like this. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And you can tell that it's, it's a very difficult moment. I mean, their calling is, is far from easy, and callings rarely are. There's a promise in this passage, a promise that speaks to him, a promise that speaks to this crew, a promise that speaks to us. And so this brave young soldier clears his throat and finishes the passage. And I said, 
here am I. Send me. See, I can think of uh, no better way to paint a picture of what happens in today's reading uh, than this scene from that movie. And that's where we head today, where we find ourselves. Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah chapter 6, as he is called to serve God some 740 years before the birth of Jesus. And what you need to know about what's going on in the world at this time is that it's a time of, of great distress, a time of transition from one leader to the next. And what makes it particularly difficult for this little nation of Judah is that the past 50 years have actually been pretty good to them. And that's because their leader, their king, is a man named Uzziah. And even though he comes to the throne at the age of, of 16, he reigns 52 years. He brings peace and prosperity to God's people. Then, 740 years before the birth of Jesus, Uzziah dies. And it's a huge tragedy. I mean, the people, the people loved this guy, and it throws the nation into chaos and, and turmoil. And to make matters worse, it's not the only problem they're facing. I mean, I mean, God's people have grown lax and lazy. They're worshiping him less and less. And all sorts of things are changing on the international stage as, as new superpowers come and rise and threaten this little place in the Middle East. And as bad as it is, if you're the prophet Isaiah today, this particular day, it's probably pretty ordinary. And that's because you have just one job, serving in the temple. And it's something you've done before, and now you do again. And it's easy, until in the midst of this scene, God calls on you. See, you're burning incense at the altar when all of a sudden the temple transforms before your eyes. I mean, you, you look up at the long, billowing curtains, the ones that hang all around, and you blink a couple of times, and you realize that they aren't curtains anymore. They're the hem of God's robe, and they stretch all the way up to heaven. And there are these, these creatures flying around, seraphs, they're called. And they have not one, not two, but three sets of wings. With one, they cover their eyes. With one, they cover their feet. And with one, they fly around, and they're calling out, shrieking, really, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And that's when it hits you. You're standing in the presence of the Lord. And you think, that's it. I'm done. It's all over. And that's when this incredible thing happens. One of those seraphs flies over to you and he grabs a coal off the altar and he touches your lips. There, he says, your guilt is removed. And you hear the voice of the Lord. He's speaking to you. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And you know, no one would blame you if, if you didn't want to go. I mean, you know what God's people are like. They're lax. They're lazy. They've stopped worshiping him. They're more concerned with the international scene than the Lord of hosts. But there's a promise in this passage. It speaks to him. It speaks to us. And so even though he doesn't know exactly what this will entail, he knows that the Lord will make him ready. And so he clears his throat and he looks up to God, here am I, send me. 
A couple of years ago, I was uh, talking with uh, a parent in our preschool. You see, uh, her family had just gone through a pretty difficult time. There was a, a loss in the family, and, and her three little girls were asking her some very difficult questions. Questions like, you know, where's Grammy? What happened? And, and why isn't she here anymore? And they're difficult questions. I mean, they're all questions that, uh, that we're going to face in one way or another at some point in our lives, but they were particularly difficult for her uh, because her three little girls were looking to her for answers. I'll never forget the day I caught her just outside of uh, Liam I, the preschool director's office, and we had a conversation, uh, and I tried to give her some helpful advice and things that she could say to her, her three daughters. It's all right, I said, to be direct. You can say that Grammy got sick. And that she wasn't just, just regular sick, but, but big sick. Sick like you have never been before. And then you can say that she got so sick that she died. And it's all right to tell them that, that it's sad. It's all right to cry. It's all right to miss her. But then you get to tell them that even though she isn't here anymore, she isn't completely gone. Because she's with Jesus. And then you get to tell them about the love of God, that, that one day you're going to be with Jesus too, and one day you're going to see Grammy again. And we talked about what this conversation would look like for, for several minutes, and, and the other thing I'll never forget is what happened at the very end. You see, I look at her and I say, you know, I know that this is really hard. But the really cool thing, the really amazing thing, is that God is going to be using you. And for this brief moment, a, a look of terror washes over her face. And it hits me. This is what happens when you hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I mean, when you walk into a, a conflicted conversation, you know uh, that there's something you need to say, something you need to forgive, maybe with a spouse or a friend or a coworker. It's a pretty scary thing because you can hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Or when you're making important decisions about your future, when you're making important decisions about your, your children's future or your parents' future, it's a scary thing because you hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know, when, when you're the guy in charge, when you're the boss, when you're the one who decides this one stays and this one goes, it isn't an easy thing, because you can hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And maybe it makes you realize that there is no place that you can do go, nothing that you can do, because God is always using you, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, or some other place, God is always using you. And it's a pretty scary thing to realize that when it happens. But it's in moments like this that God looks at you just like he looks at Isaiah. And he says, there, your guilt is forgiven. And it's simply his way of saying, it's not about your qualifications. It's not about who you are or what you've done. It's about who I am. It's about what I do. And I am choosing you. And so even though it isn't always easy, even though you, you're not always ready, that's what makes you ready. It's what gets you able to look at him and say, here I am, send me. Now, I'm not going to spoil the end of the movie Fury for you. 
Uh, but for just a minute as we close, I want you to consider uh, that scene just before the Nazis come. And I don't want you to consider it from your perspective. I don't want you to consider it from their perspective. I want you to consider it from God's perspective. Because, you see, when we look at this scene, it's so easy to think uh, that their job is to hold the line, to prevent a loss, to, to protect the allies from a huge disaster. And while I'm sure that God cares about what happens, I'm also convinced that that's probably not his primary concern. Because I think the thing that he cares about most isn't the outcome, but it's the soldier's response. And the thing he really wants is an opportunity to work through them. And the same thing is true of, of all of us. I mean, maybe you say the right thing to your three little girls. Or maybe you don't. Maybe God gives you a, another opportunity to try again. Or maybe you uh, make the right decision, resolve the conflict, take the perfect action. Or, or maybe God just gives you a chance to learn, a chance to grow. The good news is that in our lives, because of Jesus, in Jesus, the outcome of your life, the outcome of my life, is already sealed. And that's what gives people like Isaiah, people like uh, this fictional crew of a World War II tank, people like me and you, courage to, to face this day, to face the next. Because, you know, God is using us and God is choosing us every single day. And even though we don't know what that means all the time, even though we don't always feel ready, it is the thing that makes us able. It's the thing that, that prepares us, the thing that makes us able to look at him and say, here I am. Send me. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.